some practical teaching by Paul on Christian households. Very practical directions for us as Christians. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants, or employers and employees. And as I go through this, let me just say this. I'm not saying any of this to bring guilt or shame to anyone. I know that they are, there are a few of us who, having married in our youth, are still married to the same person and uh, still raising our children. And uh, that, that's now a minority thing in this country, and even amongst Christians. And so I appreciate that there, is, that there are different circumstances for different people. I'll try and speak to you a little bit to that as we go along, but this isn't to condemn anyone. At that time, first century, uh, people didn't work in factories or offices, but within a household. Even a, a craftsman, a carpenter, would work within a room of his own household, and then he would sell from his front door or walk down to the market or whatever. And so... In a, uh, the leader of a household was often an employer because they had people working for them in the household. They were called servants or slaves, and we'll come to that in a bit. But here's Paul writing to those people, to households, and they're now Christian households. And here's a big surprise for people in the first century. Wives, children, and slaves have rights as well as husbands and parents and masters. That's revolutionary. That's revolutionary. The weaker partners in those relationships are just as important as those who seem to have power. That, my friends, was a, was a firebomb going off in first century life. It made Christians very, very different from their neighbours if they learned these things. So Paul here speaks, first of all, to the weaker partner in each relationship, that is to say the wife, the child, the employee, and then to the stronger the husband, the father, the employer. So here we are, first of all, wives and husbands. I'm going to bring some other scriptures along as well as we go along. Because, of course, Ephesians is a parallel letter to Colossians. It's a longer letter, and Paul wrote both, really, to the Colossians. He said, when you've read this letter from me, read the, lo- the other one that I've sent out to the churches, which was Ephesians. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Here it is in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.33. Jesus talks about uh, loving your wife as Christ loves the church. And then he says to these men, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. He adds to the thought of loving them as Christ loves them, but love them as yourself. If you love your own body, he's saying, love your wife. And the wife must respect her husband. Let me add to this too from Peter. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that even if they refuse to believe the word, you live with an unbelieving partner, they will be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see your pure and reverent demeanor. Further down, husbands, in in the same way, treat your wives with consideration, I love this version here, as a delicate vessel, like a piece of bone china, and with honor, as fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's summarize that together. Husbands, love your wife. In fact, love her as Jesus loves his church. That is what Paul writes to the Ephesians. The word translated love in these passages is the highest form of love. It's not just friendship, and it's certainly not eroticism. It is agape. It is self-giving, self-sacrificing love. 
The love of God, the love of Jesus. It's far more than affection or even intimacy. It's serving, giving, costly love. A husband is to love his wife emotionally, or we could say affectionately, erotically, but also effectively. How does Jesus love his church? He leads her, serves her, cares for her, protects her, prays for her, pursues the best for her. That's a high calling, isn't it? Husbands, don't be harsh with your wife. Love her as part of yourself. Treat her as a delicate vessel. Meanwhile, wives, respect and submit to your husband. Wives, do you notice that you get let off? Let off? I mean, God, the Lord says a lot to husbands there. But he doesn't say that much to wives. You know why? Because if husbands do all of that, they, the wives don't need telling. If they've got a husband like that, they won't need much encouragement. Wives, allow and encourage your husband to do what he's supposed to do. Give him space to do it. Give him some gentle reminders to do it. I need, therefore, today to say something wider about gender issues. Firstly, male and female are equal before God. Equal recipients. He made them both in his image, male and female. He created them. Equal recipients of his grace, equal inheritors of his glory. That's why scripture does not say in the New Testament, sons and daughters of God, for daughters in the time of the scripture being written would not have had an inheritance except under very specific circumstances. But Christian women are included in every scripture that talks about the children or sons of God. And in that sense, Galatians 3 verse 38 says, in Christ Jesus there is neither male nor female. We are one in Christ Jesus. Yet God has made us male and female, and we are different. Different in our physiology, we're built differently, different in our psychology, we think differently. To this day, you know, the, the, the basic skill of marriage is understanding that you are different from one another. You know, she's a woman and I'm not, and I'm a bloke and she isn't. And we think differently, and we have to accept that and partner in that. God has given us different roles, husband and father and wife and mother. Let me just say this to you again. This is where I stand, I believe, according to Scripture. Male and female, equal in value, different in role. So I maintain, too, that in the life of the church, God has differing roles, too, for male and female. I do not believe that Scripture supports the role of a female elder or pastor. And those are the same thing, by the way, in Scripture. The Bible is to be taken as gender-inclusive, except where it is gender-specific, where it speaks directly to this gender and that gender. And we have scriptures that talk about those differences of gender role. Paul excludes women from teaching or exercising authority over men in the church, in 1 Timothy 2. Elsewhere, he writes that older women should teach younger women, and he says that both men and women may pray and prophesy in their church meetings. In the family, the husband and father and the wife and mother are equal in value but different in role. And the man before God carries the greater responsibility for his wife and for his children. I'll say some more in a minute. Children and parents. Children, obey your parents and everything. Some moms and dads go, yeah, 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 yeah. For this is pleasing to the Lord. Now notice this, that this is all about the Lord. This is a Christ-centered teaching. Fathers, do not provoke your children, so they will not become discouraged. Longer version. 
Ephesians. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may, make, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children are to obey their parents. That obedience is part of living in the Lord as a Christian family. It is pleasing to him. Disobedience is displeasing to him. And then there's the promise on the, there. If you want life to go well with you, don't rebel against your parents. When you become an adult and in our society, that is at 18, you can make your own way in life. You can make your own choices, pay your own way, choose where you live, if you can go make a living and do it. But even when you're 18, if you continue, or 20 or whatever, if you continue to live with your parents, you cannot rebel against them without consequences. There has to be respect. Now I'm very much alert to the fact that there are many women amongst us who must raise children alone. And I could say something about those missing husbands and fathers, but I would be unwise to do so, I think. So let me say this to you women. If you as mum are having to effectively be the sole parent of your child or children, you haven't got notes to underline it, but I want to underline this for you. God is with you. God is for you. You are his appointed parent, godly parent, to bring Christ-centered parenting to that child. In your case, take these instructions that are sent to fathers and treat yourself as parent too. Here's the instructions. Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't be harsh with them. Don't leave them hurting, resentful. Don't let them become bitter. Don't allow them to become discouraged. Don't nag them. Give them positive direction. Parents, uh, this is from the commentary I read, parents must avoid all that would irritate or exasperate the children. Injustice, severity, constant fault-finding, and so on. Lest they become discouraged. Do not estrange them from your love. You still love them even when you're disciplining them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is correcting what's wrong, perhaps. Instruction is teaching them how to do right. How to do it well. How to make good. Christian family is defined not just by church going or having some prayers in the home, but by living together in faith in the Lord, obeying Him together, growing in Him together. And it's good for children to see their mum and dad still learning, still learning wisdom, still having to get some things straight and right and apologising for when they get them wrong. We're all still disciples. If you want a child to be a disciple, you don't you stop being a disciple. Keep focusing on following Jesus and lead them with you in it. Then there's instructions for employees and employers. Now, chapters and verses, numbers were added to the copies of the scriptures many, many years after the scriptures were written. And so they sometimes come in very odd places. And the first verse of chapter 4 shouldn't be in chapter 4, it should be the last verse of chapter 3, because Paul is giving the instructions here to husbands and wives, parents and children, and employers and employees. So we are going to need to bring chapter 4, verse 1, in here. Here it is, Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves or servants... Obey your earthly masters in everything, not only to please them when they're watching, but with sincerity of heart and fear of the Lord. 
whatever you do, work at it with, all, with your whole being for the, for the Lord and not for men. Because you know that you'll re- receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Don't be bothered about the boss. Be bothered about your Lord, your master, your real one. Whoever does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Then straight on. Masters, supply your slaves or servants with what is right and fair, since you know you also have a master in heaven. Here it is in Ephesians. Slaves or servants, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And do this not only to please them while they're watching, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Serve with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, do the same for your slaves or servants. Give up the use of threats, because you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus similarly. Peter also writes... Servants, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but even to those who are unreasonable. For if anyone endures the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God, this is to be commended. Now, I know the word slave appears in English versions, but we shouldn't please think of that terrible European slavery of African peoples of these past centuries in dealing with his verses. Slavery in the Roman Empire wasn't quite like that. Most of the people who were slaves hadn't been taken as captives from somewhere. They were bond slaves. It was an economic transaction. They were the working class of the Roman Empire and they sold themselves to work for a master. They or their families were paid for their work in some way. <clears throat> they were household servants. You know, some of us used to watch Downton Abbey. You think of that, that's the household servants. It's not so very different, therefore, from our, the word employee. As workers, wherever we're employed, wherever we work, our work is to be done to serve the Lord. Therefore, we work not just when a boss is watching us, but nowadays he can do it through a computer as well. Not only to please the boss, but as those who fear and serve the Lord. We serve the Lord Christ, not Ford or Tesco's or wherever it is. So we're to be serving the Lord, you know, even if the boss is unreasonable. But bosses or masters, employers, have duties towards those for for who work for them. Christian employers. Employers need to note this. Christian business owners need to take note here. But everyone in this sense is also an employer. Think about it. How many people work for you? What about the people who come to do work in your home? What about the people who fix your car? What about those who grow your food, serve you in the supermarket, attend to you at the pharmacy or the, the, uh, the doctor's surgery or the hospital? See, directly or indirectly, we are paying for goods and services or we're paying taxes so that people can work for us. And the wages and provisions of those who work for us should be just and fair. A fair day's pay for a fair day's work. By the way, employees, do your job, do a good day's work. Don't, don't sky. 
A fair day's pay for a fair day's work. That was like a revolution in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because workers had to form unions to, to lobby for that. They couldn't live on what they were earning. That's where unionism came about. People needed to be provided for. Here's a phrase that Paul uses in one of his letters. We'll come to that in a bit. The worker is worthy of his wages. <clears throat> Those who work for us should be paid a reasonable and fair amount for what they do. That's a principle we still need to consider day by day. You see, if my cheap clothes or food come at the expense of someone not being paid enough to live on, what does that make me? Unjust. Unjust. I'm exploiting someone. The law in the Old Testament and prophets and the New Testament apostolic lighters all have something to say on this subject, on this fair wages for fair work. Leviticus, the law, you must not defraud your neighbor or rob him. You must not withhold more until morning the wages due a hired hand. He's worked his day, pay him and let him go home. And spend the money on the way to buy some food probably. Don't defraud. Don't keep back the wages of those who work for you. Jeremiah 22, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness in his upper rooms without justice, who makes his countrymen serve without pay and fails to pay their wages. Malachi, you know Malachi 3, the chapter about tithing? What about this there as well? Malachi 3 verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against oppressors of the widow and fatherless, and against those who defraud laborers of their wages and deny justice to the foreigner. But do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, it's okay paying them, they're, they're foreign. Whoa, he gets us there. Defrauding laborers and denying justice to the foreigners. No. And then James. James is more like an Old Testament prophet than an interesting writer in some ways. He says, Come now, you who are rich. Weep and wail over the misery to come upon you. Your riches have rotted and moths, moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and consume your flesh like fire. Oh, thanks, James. <laughs> you have hoarded treasure. In the last days. Now, he's not saying that was going to happen. It was happening because they knew they were in the last days. The time from Jesus' resurrection to his second coming is the last days. So you're hoarding treasure in these last days, he says. Look, the wages you withheld from the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous who did not resist you. Hard-hitting, isn't it? We are in a time when ecology and climate change is hitting the headlines. But there's also a, a wider ethical movement of doing what is right and fair and just, whether it's in... In, in, in racial justice. But what about social and economic justice? Paying people a good wage for what they do is a matter of justice, and our God is just. 
There is no injustice in him. And the re- where Paul built, brings up that thing, the labor is worth his wages, is in this one. Now, this is not me saying anything about myself. I'm perfectly well paid. Thank you very much. Elders who lead effectively are worthy of double honor, pay, in other words. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And the worker is worthy of his wages. The worker is worthy of his wages and the Lord will hold us accountable for paying a fair price for the work done in our economic sphere where I spend money, where I receive services and pay for things. Our just God will call all injustice to account. Many of us are aware of the justice that comes close to us because I'm treated in a certain way. But what about the way we treat other people? See, didn't Jesus give an abiding principle of how we're to treat, not just we're to love one another as Christians, as he loves us, but how are we to love our neighbors, those who are not our family, our Christian brothers and sisters? We're to love them as we love ourselves. So Jesus spelled that out. Do to others as you would wish them to do to you. You want to be paid a good wage? Pay them the right amount for what they do. If this principle applied, the whole of our economy, let me just think about Britain for a moment, all right? because we're independent of Europe, now we can do as we please if we, to some extent. Right? If we applied this principle, our economy and our nation would be thoroughly, thoroughly different. If we thought about the needs and, 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 and the requirements, good housing, good, safe, clean housing, Jobs that pay a living wage. It would be a revolution, my friends. But it would be a revolution of love. Not of socialism. Of, of everyone woke up to the fact, I need to make sure that the people I rely upon are paid a decent wage. The people I ask to work for me or work for me, I don't, we don't recognize that we pay taxes and people do stuff for us, but, or council tax and they do stuff for us, like clear our bins, you know but we're paying for these things, therefore they've got to do a good job for me. Yeah, but we've got to pay a good wage to them. The labourer who does a good job is worthy and is high. These are things, oh, Jesus in his parables taught us too that we should treat our fellow servants well or he'll hold us accountable. We will all stand before our master. Notice how Paul concludes that point. Our master in heaven. Masters, supply your servants with what is right and fair, since you know you also have a master in heaven. Listen, they think of themselves as being the master, and these guys work for me, or, or, I, or I even I own them in some cases, you know, because they were different kinds of slavery. Yeah, either they either work for me, or I actually own them. So I'm in charge. No, you're not. You've got a master in heaven. You're accountable to him. The proud master, this is the commentary I read again, the proud master who deemed his fellow man his chattel is himself a mere slave of Christ. We will all stand before our master and we'll give account and he will reward or rebuke us for what we've done, including how we've treated those who work for us. These are things that Paul says we need to be taught and reminded of. The way that we live in our homes, in our workplace, matters to the Lord. Christianity is not a department of our life. 
a compartment over here. It has these times and hours and little rituals and rooms. But the rest of the time, we're just getting on with normal life. My friends, Christianity is to be our normal life. We live by faith in every area of this life. So there are wise principles that we need to see and understand and apply and obey, like children obeying their parents, so that it may well go well with us. We use that for children. You, know, you need to obey me so it may go well with you. Well, what about obeying the Lord in things? Then it'll go well with us, won't it? Yes? He's displeased by disobedience. He's pleased by obedience. The smile of God comes upon us. We know something of the pleasure of God. When we do life his way, he is honoured and we are blessed. You're not blessed because you say so, but because he says so. It all comes back to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loves his church. Wives, submit to your husband as the church submits to Jesus. Imperfectly, we know the church submits to Jesus, but there you are. Parents, care for your children as the Lord does his children. Children, obey your parents in the same way that every Christian should obey the Lord. Employers, act with justice and generosity towards those who work for you, as you have been treated by the Lord. Employees, serve your Lord in your work, not your boss. Because, and remember, the day that your boss has given you a hard time, he's accountable to a master in heaven. This way of life starts with coming to Jesus and receiving new life from Jesus. This is, all of these principles are not just, you can't throw them at the world. The world can never get near these things because these belong to us as the followers of Christ. They're the, the words addressed to us who are the salt and light of the earth. We're to shine in dark places, obeying these wise principles of God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you that we can live a whole life in the Lord. Where everything comes to order within your kingdom. Whereas we learn from your word, we don't do it all in one go. We don't understand it all when we go. But as we see things in your word, we understand them. We come back to you and say, Lord, I see this. Please help me to do this. Get me started on this, Lord. Show me the first steps to take. We come and we ask of wisdom. And James says, those who ask for wisdom are not told, you stupid so-and-so, go away. But they, you give your wisdom lavishly, generously to us. You awaken our hearts to think, to feel, to see to even have emotions that run in the right direction. So we, are, we, we begin to see justice and injustice and apply ourselves to living in a just way. We recognize what is better, a better way of handling our husband or our wife, a better way of handling our children. We pray to be taught, to be led, to be inspired by your spirit, to live in ways that honor you and please you so that it may be well with us and that you are honoured in our lives, Lord. Now I just take a moment for just to say again, if anyone here is not yet a Christian, you have not yet surrendered yourself over into the hands of the Lord Jesus. So you're kind of living, thinking about him sometimes and comes and goes and 
you have these ideas and they go away again because you're just busy with stuff. Take this moment now, please, to say, here am I right now, Lord Jesus, and I submit myself to you. See, all submission to one another, submission, husband to wife, wife to husband, you know, that's the context of these scriptures that talk about submitting. It's a, it starts with submitting to the Lord Jesus. A life which is, you've given up and given over to him. Choose some words and speak those words to him now, quietly, please. Jesus. <laughs> 